all the fathers that are here and all that that represents. Yeah, I, I was blessed. I'll be honest. Growing up, I was very blessed. I had a godly father that lived much of it out before me that, that really pointed the way, but I didn't just have him. I had my grandfather on my dad's side that was a godly man, and, I, and so I watched that lived out in front of me. And it was such a blessing to have that. But I realized not everybody has that. But you know, maybe you, maybe you didn't have that. Maybe you did. But regardless, if you're a believer in the faith, then that means that somewhere along the line, God probably gave you a spiritual father. And God blessed me with a few of those too. And I'm thankful for those. And maybe somehow or other you came to Christ and you never really had that. But you know what? The great thing is, it's your opportunity to establish and to be that godly representation so that whatever was messed up in your family history before you is sit right and sit in order. And you say, from this on, from me forward, my family will have a new heritage. And I am so thankful for that and for those opportunities. So we're, we've got a guest speaker this morning. I'll do an introduction in just a little bit. But we do have some prizes we're supposed to give away. It just almost seems like it doesn't fit, but we're going to go ahead and do that anyway. Um, you should have, if you're a father here, you should be given a ticket when you walked in the door, and it should have some numbers on it. And we've got some gifts that we're going to give away. And uh, I don't know how many of you can see this uh, chair over here, but this is kind of our grand prize. This is not a cheapy toy little ten fifteen dollar chair this is this is solid it's sturdy it's got a cooler on one side and it's even got the little spot here where you can insert your fishing rod on the other side and it will hold it for you and we're talking this is first class stuff here <laughs> So we're going to be giving that away, but before we do that, we have a couple of things we're going to uh, draw for, some gift cards, and if you're watching online, we've got a couple that, uh, that when I call them out, we'll give you an opportunity to make a comment online and win one of those as well. Did everybody get a ticket? I want to make sure that there's not a father in here that did not, uh, not get a ticket. All right. All right, we're going to start with, let's see, let me see the cards. All right. We're going to do a, um, we're going to start with a, a Academy Sports gift card, and uh, we'll draw a ticket for that, and I'm just going to call the last three numbers of the ticket, and uh, 261, ticket 261, all right, there you go, Ed. And we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do another one. Uh, this one's gonna be for online. So the first person that messages on our little online board that says, "Hey, I'm a dad." Uh, if you're the first one that gets that in on a message, we've got this Academy Sports gift card that we will that we will give to you. And we also we have a twenty five dollar Bass Pro Shot gift card we're gonna give away, and this will go to. Number 252. Two. All right.
Yeah. 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 Okay, John Neighbors gets one watching online. Good deal. I understand John's not feeling well today. I want you to know we're praying for you, buddy. All right. Um, one more. This will be for another one for online, and this is to uh, Cracker Barrel. And uh, so uh, the, the person, let's see, what can we have this person say? I'm a dad, and I wish I could get the chair, but I'll settle for Cracker Barrel. If you're, uh, <laughs> something similar to that. If you, if you message something similar to that, we'll make sure that, uh, that you get, get that as well. And we'll set these aside. And now for the chair. I should have kept Daniel around for the drum roll, right? All right, this one will go to ticket number 254. 254. 254. All right. That's a hardworking man. He needs a place to sit on occasion. Yeah. Well, this morning we do have a guest speaker this morning, and um, in all honesty, has become a dear friend, and this family has been a blessing to this church. It kind of, one of the reasons that I asked him to speak and to share this morning is because I've seen, now, these guys have kids. Now, they're all pretty much grown, but they have kids, right? Eight, is that right? Yeah, okay. Eight kids, right? And And I've watched... And seeing everything I've seen, they're quality. They're quality. Lena is the one that's the the, the sole girl, uh, and she normally plays bass for us, but she is working rec for the Dis- North Texas District Kids Camps this summer. So she is she is uh, she is out for this for this next couple of weeks. But uh, that just shows the quality. And so I watched this, and and there is something about. A father. You know, obviously I wasn't there for everyone, but I was invited to when, when Peyton reached the point in time that there was a gathering and a cookout that was held in his honor as he became a young man. And and I saw it, watched his reads spoke into his life, but it wasn't just a ritual that they went to. He really identified who he was. And they've got this thing that they do that they that they purchase a sword that is that is a nice sword. I mean, not some little toy, not some even some cookie cutter, but that represents who they are as a person. It's presented almost as a rite of passage, and they're prayed over. And I thought, what a great tradition for a family. So, uh, but not. It's not only that. Reed is a is a credentialed minister with the Assemblies of God. They have pastor, but right now he is um, owner, CEO, whatever you want to call it, of Advis. Advocacy Christian Counseling is a very solid, God-biblical-based counseling service. And I have referred multiple people to them because I believe in what they're teaching and their approach. And so I thought, what a great person to have come and speak to our fathers today on Father's Day. So if you would give Reed Elam a hand as he comes to speak this morning.
That's intimidating. <laughs> I'm listening going, I can't wait to hear this guy talk too. <laughs> it's an honor to fill the pulpit here in this church. It's not something I know from a pastor's perspective that you give up lightly. And, and I, I feel honored to be able to be here and to speak on Father's Day of any day, you know, an occasion. So once again, happy Father's Day to those that are fathers. But I want to kind of preface for you that aren't fathers, maybe aren't fathers yet, may never be. I want you to listen to my sermon today just as these are the characteristics of a Christian man. I may be talking about fathers and fatherhood, and today I've actually picked one character out of the Bible. We're going to do a character study and take a look at this man and how he acted and groomed his son for ministry. And we're going to study his life. And in that, though, you, no matter if you're a father or not, can gain some knowledge, but also some encouragement. So today we honor all fathers, grandfathers, uncles, all men who have such important roles in our families and our churches. In Scripture, we're commanded by the Lord to what? Honor your father and your mother. And we do that today. On May 11th, we celebrate Mother's Day. And then today we celebrate and honor our dads. A small boy's definition of Father's Day is just like Mother's Day, except you don't have to spend as much. <laughs> it's true. It's true, okay? Father's Day isn't nearly as big as Mother's Day. The florist isn't overworked, right? They don't sell as many cards. The restaurant's only half full. Church attendance is a little less than Mother's Day. These are all things that are honest, but it doesn't mean that dads are any less important. Research shows that children, when they grow up, they love their mothers, but they want to be like their fathers. And so there's an important role that God's defined for us. On Father's Day, we talk about absentee fathers, deadbeat dads, statistics are recited, Willie on guilt for not being there for their kids. This world has given us a lot of hurt and pain that are associated with fathers. I believe that is definitely a tactic of the enemy. Why? Because as Christians, we refer to God as our father. And as a Christian counselor, there are times when I have to help people. We have to reshape how they define father. Because their earthly father could have made some huge mistakes. But their heavenly father makes none. And so we have to understand that our godly father is very different than sometimes the examples we're given. Yet there are still good examples around us. If you look up the word father in the dictionary... You'll find it comes just after the word fatigue (laughs) and just before the word fathead. (laughs) Now, I'm old because I'm like, what fathead? I had to look it up. It just means you're stupid. (laughs) Okay? I was like, okay. So anyway, fathers, good or bad, fathers are examples. Fathers are teachers. We are. Every father is not could be or should be, we are examples and teachers. Fathers, I want you to realize how much you teach us. All of us can stop and reflect on our father and the things that we learned. It's funny, I've, I've said this to Janine more lately than earlier in the years. I really wish my dad was around to talk to him. 
My dad grew up on a farm. We've gotten crazy with our start as a hobby, and now it's just we've got a farm. We've got goats, <laughs> chickens, ducks, too many dogs, all that stuff that goes with the farm. But I would love to sit down and talk with him because he grew up on a farm in the farm life. But, you know, I just got passing stories growing up, but he's not around. But I still remember lessons learned from him. And we always carry those lessons on from our fathers. Why? Because they teach us much. They probably teach us more than we even realize. And there's times we need all the reminders we can get. So in working on this message today, I wanted to pick a man in Scripture that was a father. And we're going to do it a little different. We're going to do a character study. We're going to study this morning the character of the father, Joseph. Joseph, the father, in a sense, the first stepfather in the Bible of Jesus. Stop and think about that with the way our society has been fractured. You know, sometimes people feel like they're disqualified because, well, they're really not my kids. No, you're raising them. They're yours. And any of you that have been in a blended family, they're yours. You'll take them. You know, you put that time in. But Joseph, that's what he did. He shaped Jesus' character and prepared him for life and for ministry. There's times that we forget. We, we know that Jesus was what? Fully God and fully man. And yet we think that he just came with all this stuff all inside, already put together. No. No. God, God didn't cut corners. The book of Hebrews says Jesus was tested. He was tempted in all ways that we are as a man. He didn't get the easy way out on anything. And why would God give him something he wouldn't give us? He won't. He set the, the way for us, and Joseph shaped him as he was growing. So we're gonna, I'm going to read through quite a bit of Scripture. There's really only two chapters in the whole Bible that talk about Joseph. He appears on the scene. He and Mary have Jesus. There's a few verses, a few things they do, and he passes away from the scene. And it kind of continues on the narrative. So I'm going to read most of the verses that apply to Joseph and kind of give you commentary as we go along. Starting the first in Matthew chapter 1, verses 16, starting there, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, 
He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. God chose Joseph to be Jesus' earthly father. How would you like to be part of that search? God's up there looking, looking, looking. And if you knew, you'd be like, "Mm, not me. I'm not qualified. I'd be too humble. I wouldn't want to, you know, none of us. We'd all be, no, no, there's a better candidate. Just keep looking at God. God picked Joseph. Why? Because he saw things in Joseph that he knew Jesus needed to be the man he was going to become on this earth. So we see right away what? It says Joseph was a righteous man. Doesn't say he was a good man. He was kind of nice. He was a righteous man. So he was dedicated to his faith. He practiced his faith. Not simply showing up in the temple. He probably practiced it daily, day in and day out. The way he conducted business. The way he took care of himself. He was a righteous man. And it goes on to say, we see that he was a kind man. So it's revealed to him that his fiance, soon to be wife, is pregnant. And he's going, uh, that's not me. That's not good. It was an embarrassing situation. And according to Jewish law, he could have her paraded in front of everybody, and they would take her out and stone her. Remember the, when Jesus, years later, with the adulterous woman brought before him? That was the custom. He could have had that done to Mary. But Joseph was kind. He what? He purposed to have it done quietly. He didn't really want any further harm to her. He didn't want her put to shame in a public spectacle. And so he was, gonna, he was kind and he's sensitive, even though in a sense he's now disgraced. You know, how do you explain this? And other than to keep his, his own reputation intact, he's got to get rid of her, right? Otherwise, he's implicit in this. Or everybody's going to say, well, yeah, it's his. So he's going to do it quietly. But what? God sends an angel to verify Mary's story. So Joseph listens and he obeys. He steps up to the plate. God gives him a huge job. Okay? You have to be humble now. You're going to be humiliated in your hometown because everybody's going to think that you got together with your fiancé before the wedding. And yet, he knows God has purpose. And, and if he starts going, well, an angel came to me and explained it. Yeah, right. That's not going to go over well. Now Joseph's crazy, too. Okay? So... Joseph had to keep these things himself, but he stepped up. He took care of of Mary. He endured the public humiliation. I think those are noble qualities as part of why God picked Joseph. Joseph had backbone. He was obedience to God, and he had integrity. God honored Joseph's integrity by entrusting him with the responsibility of raising his son. How easy is it to entrust your children to someone else to take care of? I remember when my kids were little, it didn't matter if you went to the grandparents or where. You're like checking on them. You're calling. How are they doing? How's it going? And the first time you ever take a trip and leave your kids and go out of town, 
you know, you're calling the babysitter, you're calling the relatives, you're calling the friends, whoever it is. How's it going? They're doing all right. Why? Because we're concerned as parents. And yet here's God giving his son over to Joseph. Okay, pick it up scripture. Chapter 2, the visit of the wise men. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. I kind of skipped in there. They have a talk with the king, and when the star to appear, and this and that. But keeping the narrative going. After listening to the king, they went on the way. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were just exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They departed their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent men and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So we see it's been up to two years now since Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. And Joseph was industrious. They stayed in Bethlehem, probably got a fresh start there. Didn't have the reputation they did back home. But Joseph was a carpenter. He had a trade that he could set up anywhere and be one to be in demand. And so Joseph, we can assume, set up shop in Bethlehem. And we know he did okay. Why? Because when the wise men came to visit him, they didn't stop at the stable. Jesus was born in the stable, but at some point they moved. They didn't stay there. They came to his house. So Joseph was providing for Mary and providing for Jesus, using his skills, but taking care of them. He wasn't lazy. He was industrious. Now we see that the Magi bring gift. What they're actually bringing, though, is financial resources for the next task that Joseph has. So the Magi show up because God's never late. God's always on time. They show up. They bring these resources the angel appears to Joseph that night and says, okay, you got to go. Why? Because the child's life is at stake. Herod killed what? All the boys two years and under. So Joseph hung out for a while to see what was going to happen. No. It says he immediately, at night, took Mary and Jesus and left and went to Egypt, just like he was told to do. So Jesus didn't grow up in the Hilton in Egypt or the Holiday Inn. Joseph was probably resourceful enough to to take that financial gain they had. And what did he probably do? He probably opened up another carpentry shop. He doesn't know how long they're going to be there, how long they're going to occupy. 
but he put his skills to use to provide for his family. He didn't squander the resources they had. He recognized those were gifts that God had entrusted him with, and yet he still continued to provide and protect and care for baby and young Jesus at that point and Mary. And as time goes on, there are other children. All right, picking up the story again now in verse 19. Behold, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archaeus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in the dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called Nazarene. So Joseph is given a command like the one Abraham heard. Rise, leave, go to a land I'll tell you about. Just get out of here. So he's leave Egypt, go back to Israel. Well, where in Israel? It's a big country. Well, it's a small country compared to America, but, you know, in that time, what part? North, south, east, west? Just go. So he had to be obedient and trusting God would lead him every step of the way. He's provided for him all along this point. Why doubt now? So Joseph rises up, closes up shop, packs up Mary and Jesus. They head back to Israel. And he's, they're traveling, and somewhere down the line we see that it says what? He has another dream, and he's told where to go in Israel. So he doesn't go back to Bethlehem or to Jerusalem, because why? Herod's son's ruling, and that's those are the main areas he would have power over. So they go north up to the Galilee area, and they go back to Nazareth, to their hometown. That took some courage. This was the place where they probably left in shame. And yet they went back. Probably still had family there. And it's been a few years now, so hopefully some of the rumors have faded. Hopefully some of those things have changed. And maybe they won't get that kind of, you know, people have long memories, but hopefully they moved on to something else. And they can just go on with their life. So we see Joseph go back, and what does he do? He sets up another carpentry shop. So at this point, he's done this about four times. He's probably pretty good at it, starting a business over and over and over and over. But he sets up another shop. But this time what? He trains Jesus alongside him how to be a carpenter. Picking this up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Well, we're going to start with verse 21. Luke 1, 21. And this is Luke's jumping in right after Jesus is born in Bethlehem. He says, At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, this is about 40 days later, is what the law says, they they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons." You know, as a parent, we all want to make sure that our children start out right. We'll enroll them in activities. We'll pay for different programs and things so that they get a good start in life. Joseph knew the foundation for Jesus 
was spiritual. And we know that also. The foundation in our children's life has to be spiritual. They may have different vocations, but they need to have that spiritual foundation. So Joseph is adhering to the law that God has put down. He makes sure they're fulfilling it and doing it the right way. And that's part of the training then that Jesus is going to receive as he grows under his father Joseph. Picking up then in verse 39, it says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So they went to Egypt. Luke skips all that. They ended up back in Nazareth. And he says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So we, like I said earlier, he was fully human and fully God. And yet we see Joseph raising him to be loving, merciful, kind, just. Those characteristics that we see Jesus exercising in his ministry are the characteristics, I believe, that Joseph put into him as a child when he was growing up. He saw acts of compassion by his father when people came to the shop. He saw his father be gentle and kind with people in Nazareth that you know, may have gotten off the path and they needed encouragement more than they needed ridicule. He'd been there, hadn't he? We see the integrity that Joseph had, and those characteristics is nurtured and poured into Jesus. Okay, picking up the story one more time in Scripture. In verse 41, chapter 1 of Luke, verse 41, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast had ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it, but supposed him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. All right, I have to stop there, because as parents were horrified, we're going, how'd you lose your kid? And you went a whole day without seeing him. If you've been a parent, there's sometimes you think that might have been a blessing. But, of course, Jesus was perfect. That wasn't, no. They traveled, typically you traveled with extended family or a big group of people from Nazareth are going to go down to the Passover. You were safer to travel in groups. And you just assume your son's hanging out with their cousin, you know, John the Baptist, he's cousin. They're hanging out doing what boys do. They're throwing rocks along the road. They're doing, you know, he'll catch up at dinner time. But that time comes... Where's Jesus? Jesus travel with you? No? Have you, have you seen Jesus? They can't find him. Uh, I, Joseph's in big trouble here. They don't record what Mary said, but we all know it was not good. It, we know, it fell on Joseph's shoulders. Sorry, but you know. So, picking it back up. So they supposed to be in the group. They went a day's journey. When they searched for him among the relatives and acquaintances, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. So they've journeyed a day. We know they didn't sleep. <laughs> they turned around and hiked the day back through the middle of the night to get back to Jerusalem to look for their son. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? 
Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. See, there's a clue right there. Distress. And he said to them, why are you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So we get a glimpse of his divinity in this point in time when he's conversing with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the teachers of the law. The, the, the way they taught and learned back then was the teacher would ask questions, the student would answer, the student would ask questions, the teacher would answer. It was a question and answer back and forth. And they were amazed, not necessarily always about his knowledge, but about his questions. Scripture talks about what? David wrote, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. And I think that's a glimpse of what the teachers saw in Jesus. This young man has a different heart than the other young man. He is yearning for the things of God. He understands the things of God. Why? Because Joseph made sure he learned those growing up. Yes, he had a divine nature, and I think like a magnet drawn to that. But his father had put in the discipline and the undergirding for him to excel at that. So quickly, that's all the background. That's all the scripture we see on Joseph. And now I'm going to quickly go through some points because this is just a, this is a character study. This is a different kind of sermon today. So these I want to talk about, these are lessons from a carpenter. Joseph was a carpenter. What can we learn from him? We know that Matthew said he was a righteous man. And we know that he obviously handed wisdom down to Jesus. It was customary in those times that you would train your son in your trade, in your craft. And so Joseph trained Jesus to be a carpenter. And we see that later on, even when he returned back to Nazareth, they referred to him as, isn't this the carpenter? You know, that's how they thought of Jesus, as he's just the carpenter. Recent archaeological digs in the ancient Galilean city of Zippori, it's only four miles from Nazareth, show extensive building was done in this former district capital. Zippori, called Sephoris in Greek, was completely restored by Herod Antipas during the years that Joseph worked as a carpenter. It's not hard to imagine. It's very likely that Jesus as a boy, would accompany his father a mile, there was about an hour walk to walk those four miles, to this booming town for work as a carpenter. And there's probably a lot of things that they worked on during that city's reconstruction. But we see he still had his base in Nazareth. Somewhere between that 12-year-old visit to the temple and Jesus' ministry when he began it at 30, Joseph passes from the scene. There's no fanfare. There's no comments. There's nothing. But he's just no longer mentioned anymore in Scripture. It talks about Jesus, his mother, and his siblings, his four brothers, and his daughters, his sisters. So Joseph is no longer in the picture. So we know somewhere between there, Joseph passed away. But he trained his son well as a carpenter, but also as a man. 
So as a carpenter, Jesus must have learned many tricks of the woodworking trade from Joseph. While tools and techniques have changed a lot over the last 2,000 years, three simple things that Joseph lived by and rules he used as a carpenter still hold true today. First rule, measure twice, cut once. Everybody's laughing because we've all made that extra trip back to Lowe's or Home Depot because you can't make the wood longer. You can make it shorter. Measure twice, cut once. Now, we're spoiled. We just get in and go get a piece. What if you got to go out to the forest and cut another tree down, trim it out, because that was the last plank for the project you're finishing and you blew it. All right? So wood was scarce in ancient Israel. Joseph and his son Jesus couldn't afford to make mistakes, time-wise, financial-wise. So they had to learn to proceed with caution, anticipating the consequences in what they were doing. It's a wise principle for our lives, too. Anticipate the consequences of what you're doing, what you're saying, how you're acting. As Christian men, we need to be careful of our behavior. People are watching us. Non-believers are judging Christianity by the way we act. You know, we all have people complain about hypocrites. And, and honestly, we all probably are at some point. We do mess up. But I don't want to be a big one that somebody stumbles over and holds it against the whole church. I want to be authentic. I want to be real. But I need to understand people are watching me. We can either attract them to our faith or we could drive them away. Thinking ahead prevents a lot of trouble. We measure our spending, what? Against our income. It can save us from trouble. If we measure our physical health and take steps to take care of it, God only gives you one body and one life. You've got to take care of it. Guys can get macho and they're just going to power through stuff, but then you're going to pay for it at the end. Something's going to be hurt or you broke it. Yeah. So take care of it. Protect it. We should try to measure our spiritual growth from time to time. Why? Because we want to always be increasing it. Just like timber in ancient Israel, our resources are limited. So we need to do our best and use them wisely. Second principle we can learn from Joseph as a carpenter. Use the right tool for the job. Use the right tool for the job. Joseph wouldn't try to pound in a nail with a chisel. He wouldn't try to cut down a tree with a hammer. He's going to use the right tool for the job. Every carpenter has a special tool for the task that's required. So it is with us. Don't use anger when understanding is called for. Oh, that's good. Don't use indifference when encouragement is required. We can build people up or we can tear them down depending on the tools we use. Jesus gave people hope. He wasn't afraid to show love and compassion. He was firm when he called out the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He stood up when he needed to, when they were wrong. Yet, he showed compassion and forgiveness to the woman caught in adultery. There could have been, you know, you think about that could have been his mother's end if his father Joseph hadn't been compassionate and caring. 
Jesus learned the tools of carpentry shop from Joseph, but I believe he also learned these tools that he used in his ministry, in his life, from his father Joseph too. He was a master of using the right tools, and we, as his apprentices, should do the same. Third lesson we can learn from Joseph as a carpenter. Take care of your tools, and they'll take care of you. I never forget, one of my sons, one of our sons, growing up, he was pretty handy. So anytime one of his brother's chain came off their bike or they needed something adjusted, they would get him, and he would grab my tools. You know where this is going. (laughs) And he would fix their bike. You know, it's like to go walking through your yard trying to mow your lawn, and you're like, whoa, what's that? It's a pile of wrenches and screwdrivers, and who knows how long it's been out here because they're rusted at this point. They've been rained on. And who knows what they would have done to the lawnmower. You have to take care of your tools. You know, I had to have a lesson time with them at that point. Hey, this is not going to work. You know, saws, hammers, axes, chisels, those were all the tools of the trade. No power tools. That's rough. (laughs) But tools work better if they're not Rusty and dull. So Jesus was taught by Joseph, what? Take care of your tools. Keep stuff sharp. Makes work easier. You ever try to cut a tree down with a dull axe? Dull blade will actually bounce off the tree trunk. And so it makes hard work. We Christian men have tools. We have tools our employer gives us, whether it be a laptop or an impact wrench. Whatever your employer entrusts you, you have a responsibility to take care of it as if it's your own. The Bible doesn't reveal much detail about Joseph's role as a father to Jesus, but we know from Matthew 1 that he was an excellent earthly manager and he had integrity and he was righteous. We know that Joseph passed on those carpentry skills, but he also passed on all the Jewish traditions and observations and his love, in a sense, for Scripture at that time, what he knew and understood and how they were to apply those principles in their lives. We also have many tools. We have tools of prayer and meditation and praise and worship and fasting. Our most valuable tool, of course, is the Bible. We got a handbook. In Joseph's day, you would have to go to the temple. They would unroll the scroll and read a passage out of it. Very few people had a copy of it all. First, it would have been so expensive because it all been handwritten. Two, how do you, you know, it's on papyrus, it's on parchment, it's on something that's very fragile. So we have God's word. So if we sink its truths deep into our minds and we live them out, we're using the tools that God has given us. And what? He will take care of us too, just like he did Joseph and his training of Jesus. In the body of Christ, every Christian man is a carpenter with a job to do. Like Joseph, we can mentor our apprentices, our sons, our daughters, their friends, some of our friends, relatives, teaching them the skills to pass faith on to the generation after them. The more we learn about our faith, the better a teacher we'll be. God has given us all the tools and resources we need, whether at your place of business or at your home. Or at leisure, you're always on the job. Work for God with your head, your hands, and your heart, and you can't go wrong.
Stand with me this morning. We pray for the fathers and for all men in general. Father, I thank you for the way that your word gives us encouragement, but most importantly, it gives us direction. And Lord, it's not just direction of do this, do that. You include the how-tos. Lord, I thank you for the way that you've given us a simple carpenter named Joseph that set an example for his son who became our Savior. And yet is an example that even to this day is still worthy for all of us to strive to follow. Father, I pray for each man that's here, a father, not a father, maybe father in the future. Father, I just pray and ask you that you would help each of us to measure up, to be the best example to the people around us, the influence that you've given us in whatever circle it may be, large or small. Help us to be examples of Christ that draw people to you. And Lord, I thank you for the way that like a moth attracted to a flame, people will be drawn to your spirit as it shines through us. And Lord, we thank you in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's a good word, wasn't it? Yeah, I was thinking as he was speaking, what would this world look like if each of us as men found another man that we saw doing this thing better and more faithful than us and begin to follow their example? And then in turn, begin to look at those behind us that perhaps don't have the best example and begin to say, how can I better be an example for that person, that child, whoever it is that's following me? You know, in reality, I really believe that much of what we see going on in the world today is because that chain has broken down. And so to me, it's a challenge to all of us to be men and to, you know, I know we're all busy. But you know, one of the things I remember that's one of the fondest memories that I have is many times in my home growing up, dad would invite my brother and I into their bedroom before bed. We'd crawl up in their bed and dad would open up a Bible storybook before we got old enough to really just read scripture and he would read a Bible story and we would talk about it. And then we would pray together before we went to bed. I have that Bible storybook at the house. That is a treasure. And at some point, I'm going to pass that down. And I'm going to have another one for my other son when that day and time comes. Because there's a value in that. I remember, I can still remember to this day, as my dad would pray, kind of laying my head as a small kid up next to him and hearing that prayer kind of echoing in his chest as he prayed. See, those, those, those are things that were given that are so valuable. So as men, we need to be sure that we are passing those things on to the young men and young women that come up and follow behind us so they can understand there is a better way of life. 
So let's be that example. Amen? And I believe we can help change things. And you know what? This thing we're talking about, we're, we're, we're still exploring some things. We're going to find a way to get plugged in better to help with this whole foster care idea because there are all kinds of people, young men and women that are out there that haven't had an example. And just, you know, yes, it, it'll be work. Yes, it'll be effort. But you know what? If we can help people that are doing that in some fashion, even with wipes, we can do some things to be in case there are people that need that, those resources that, that, that haven't had that leg up in life that so many of us have had it, but we can become that for other people. And to me, it's so powerful. Enjoy your Father's Day. Lazarus, enjoy your chair. <laughs> but let's, let's leave with our heads a little higher. Saying that's what God, I mean, you know, I've, I've said for years, and I thought that was very well put together. I've said for years, you know, Joseph was handpicked. God didn't leave any detail not worked out. And so I thought that was very well put together. But I want to pray for our fathers, and then I know we've already prayed, and then you guys go have a great Father's Day. Amen. Father, we do thank you for just the chance to be together in your house today. Lord, there is so much. Lord, I thank you for the godly heritage that was given to me. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that, Lord, to, to, to shine and touch other lives. But Lord, let us as men leave enriched. So many times women are praised on Father's Days and fathers are ripped. Uh, but Lord, I thank you that today was a very positive, very encouraging uh, word for us as fathers. Well, that, that causes us to rise up and challenge us to be the men of God we are intended to be. And Lord, we thank you for it and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.